2: Well, looky there, crude oil futures have kind of rolled over, and I don't know if we're going to call it a trend breaker or not. It's early, uh, but it sure looks like kind of a meh kind of day in the markets. We'll instead turn our attention to the hog shed, and later, we'll talk all things Kansas Ag. Live from Porktober via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Talk. This morning, we'll begin with a conversation with Trish Cook from the Iowa Pork Producers, and then we join Farm Journal's annual College Road Show with Professor Joe Parcell from Kansas State University, and directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers, I'm Capable Broadcast host, Davis Michelson here with you behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Grateful to you for tuning in. I'm in for Chip. He's traveling back from uh, the Seattle area, the Pacific Northwest, where... Yesterday, he and Big Apple Joe were broadcasting live from the uh, Port of Grays, I believe it was. Uh, they had a very exciting time. If you missed the shows, both yesterday's uh, morning and afternoon shows were uh, Chip bringing you live info on the ground from the scene uh, at the Port of Grays. It definitely worth a listen. It's something that Obviously, we have to keep a hold on a lot of people talking about <laughs> export demand, export demand, snowballing stocks. I know. I get it. So that's Chip just wanted to get a window into what they're doing over there. Um, and uh, you know, USB was and USEC were more than happy to <laughs> to uh, to chat with us out there. So we're, we're absolutely glad the way that came out. Anyway, all that to say, I'm filling in for Chip today while he's traveling. Super glad to be here. We've got Trish Cook from the Iowa Pork Producers. Um, it's pork month. That one kind of slid under my radar, and we're going to rectify that today and shine a light on pork with Trish Cook. And then we've got Professor Joe Parcell from Kansas State. Now, uh, Professor Parcell, of course, I, I want to ask about uh, just basic agricultural stuff out there in Kansas. What the heck is going on out there? uh it, it, immediately and you know what are some of the plans for the future for farmers out there but I also he wants to talk about AI and how AI can maybe make its way onto the farm what would that look like I'm I'm starting basically at zero on my knowledge of ag AI so I'm anxious to talk to Joe Parsell we're going to have a nice long chat uh Joe Parsell from Kansas State University and then of course after the news we've got Greg Henderson from Drovers for an update. So, with that, let's begin today's news with the National Weather Service weather outlook, which includes increasingly unsettled weather in store for the eastern US over the next few days. High temperatures will challenge daily records across numerous locations over the western United States today, and then that'll spread into Texas by Friday and into Saturday. In other news, the 10 year treasury yield reached a new high, breaking above 4.9% for the first time since 2007, and it's edging ever closer to 5%. Meanwhile, the average on the 30 year fixed mortgage rate hit 8% on Wednesday. That, according to Mortgage News Daily, that's the highest level since mid 2000. U.S. Excuse me, U.S. existing home sales continue to decline, hitting the lowest level in 13 years. Sure, higher, higher. Mortgage rates, we'll we'll do that for you. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits fell by 13,000 from the prior week to 198,000. That's for the weekend of October 14, the least since January of 2023 and well below market estimates of 212,000. The result added to evidence that the labor market remains at historically tight levels. We've been watching this tight labor market House Republicans failed to muster sufficient support to see House Speaker nominee Ohio Representative Jim Jordan through to confirmation, marking the second up or down vote to go against Jordan. Here we are, the second vote now. Uh, apparently, Jordan is resilient. He's he's still wanting to do it. Last I heard, so we're. I'm not sure what's happening now. We should probably get Weismeyer and you know, come to think of it, tomorrow morning's the free for all. I got a feeling the uh, House Speaker votes will come up. Key Senate Republicans are advocating for a one-year extension of the Farm Bill, signaling a shift away from hopes for a full-blown Farm Bill reauthorization this year. This change in focus is attributed to the current power vacuum in the House of Representatives and uncertainties surrounding the need to avert a government shutdown in November. And here we see where the House Speaker seat being empty is making problems for the Farm Bill. President Joe Biden announced significant aid for Gaza, which includes up to 20 trucks of humanitarian assistance set to begin arriving on Friday. This aid, coupled with $100 million in new U.S. funding for Gaza and the West Bank, is poised to provide a critical lifeline to Palestinians in the besieged territory. Meanwhile, Israel, the U.S. government, and independent security experts said Wednesday the preliminary evidence for a deadly explosion at a Gaza hospital Uh, compound pointed to a local militant group casting doubt on Palestinian claims that an Israeli airstrike was responsible. China expressed its willingness to hold a summit between President Xi Jinping and President Joe Biden on the sidelines of the upcoming Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. That's coming up in November. However, this willingness is reportedly contingent. On the United States, demonstrating respect, according to the deputy chief of mission of the Chinese embassy in the U.S. Meanwhile, Arkansas Attorney General Tim Griffin this week ordered Syngenta to divest its ownership of approximately 160 acres in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Griffin also imposed a civil penalty of $280,000 for failure to timely report foreign ownership by the Chinese state owned company. We'll have more on that later on, but first let's get to Greg Henderson from Drovers. Good morning, Greg. Um, it's the 3F of retail food sales, football, inflation, and back to school. How do these three things influence food sales?
0: Well, absolutely, David. So September is when all of that, uh, uh, hits the retail markets, of course. And we're seeing that food inflation is higher, uh, absolutely 25% higher than it was three years ago in 2020. So uh, beef uh, is, is a little higher, not as much as the overall meat, uh, overall up 19%, Davis. So September's all fresh retail beef price was seven eighty two a pound that sets a new record and the ground beef price 5 11 per pound that's also a new record those are records we don't necessarily want to uh, make davis because obviously that uh, that hurts uh, uh, consumption buyers are Mm -hmm. uh, obviously consumers are obviously scaling back on their third food purchases and they're doing that with a home-centric life as you mentioned we now know 45% of them watch at least some football. Hmm. They're not eating beef when they do that. Uh unfortunately it's salted foods and uh and wings, Davis.
2: Mhm. I see. Um uh, one of the one of the uh, impacts of inflation though is more consumers are doing scratch cooking from home, cooking from scratch. Yeah, that's that,
0: that's right. We you know this uh this survey that's done monthly is showing more scratch cooking done from home. Uh, as a result because they're figuring out ways to scrimp on their budgets and not spend as much at the retail store and one way obviously to do that is to cook more food at home
2: indeed greg henderson from drovers thanks for your time this morning sir have a great day thank you we will be back on the other side of this break with trish cook from the iowa pork producers council october is national pork month i'm calling it porktober um we're we'll talk about some of the economic struggles hog farmers are dealing with. I want to get a harvest report. We'll talk farm bill, eats act, etc, etc.
3: Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
2: Agritalk is brought to you by Bex. Bex Hybrids is with you every turn because both on and off the field, we're all farmers at heart. See why at BexHybrids.com. Welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson here. I'm excited about this. I've got Trish Cook, president of the Iowa Pork Producers Association, on the line. Uh, Madam President, welcome to AgriTalk. Thank you for being here today.
6: Hi, Davis. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today about one of my favorite topics, pork.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a a fan myself. October is National Pork Month, and it almost slid under my radar. We don't dare let this get away. Um, Before we talk about Pork Month, um, you're calling from somewhere in Iowa. Could you take a look around, just maybe give us your, your 360 view of harvest activity, what's going on in the fields, what does it look like? A little snapshot, please.
6: Yes, I live in eastern Iowa, so north of Cedar Rapids. Um, okay. We have a few friends and neighbors who have completed their harvest for the fall. We're about half done with our corn um, and only not done with our soybeans because of a combine breakdown. So I actually actually got to go oh, no. to Springfield, Missouri yesterday to pick up a transmission for a combine with my husband. So we saw a lot of Midwest yesterday, um, seven wow. hour drive from where we live. So, But things yeah. are, are proceeding along nicely. It's been a nice fall.
2: I just got to ask you, um, Trish, availability of parts has been a whole thing for a couple of years now. You're telling me you just well, I, I guess all you had to do was drive seven hours to get it. How hard was it to find that transmission?
6: You know, I appreciate that um, the dealership we work with was able to find it. It's just that if they yeah. put it on a truck, we were not in control of when it was going to get here. And obviously, time is of the essence right now. So um, yeah. there was a little rain in our weather yesterday. So it was a good opportunity to run down and grab it. And hope- and they got it on the hoist today working on it. So hopefully mm-hmm. we can get it back today or early tomorrow.
2: You embody farmer optimism, don't you?
6: Well, every day is a fresh start, right? So yeah, I love that.
2: We do. I love that. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about uh, National Pork Month. I'm calling it Porktober. Um, what, is, what does it do? What, is, what can we expect throughout the month? Um, what makes National Pork Month a big deal?
6: It is exciting. Yeah, we do love calling it Porktober. I will just say there's so many great things that we have. We're so proud of our products, and it's a great time that we can showcase those. With We work with grocery stores to have specials on pork this month. Restaurants are running promotions. A lot of county-level organizations do a lot in their own local area to run promotions. Um, recipes are on our website. We have a great opportunity to talk with folks like you about the products that we're really proud to raise every day and, and taking good care of our animals. And you may have seen that Iowa Pork came up with a wonderful um promotion this year, teaming with Iowa State, the Purchase More Ham and Bacon Initiative. So the four Iowa State football players, that their names are Purchase More Ham and Bacon. We've teamed up with them um, in the NIL using the We Will Collective at Iowa State. So that's been so awesome, such a positive campaign and just a fun way to work with those student athletes who are also great um successes in the classroom as well and pairing with them through nil and also donating pork to their local food pantries
2: i have to be honest with you madam president when uh you and i exchanged some notes back and forth just a little bit and there were some talking points and and one said purchase more ham and bacon and i thought maybe more ham and was a brand and i thought i don't know if i can promote a specific brand but let me let me look it up, and it took me to a news story, and now I feel like an idiot. But uh, I don't really follow the sports ball that much. But this is super exciting. So you got four players on the Iowa State football team whose names are Purchase, Moore, Hammond, and Bacon. There's a picture of them right here on the uh, Iowa Pork Producers Association. Uh, take it from these guys: Purchase, Moore, Hammond, Bacon. This is this is really great.
6: It is just a super. It's super awesome. It's super fun. It's super positive. And the timing is great with October Pork Month. Um, this, the how it came along was um, the two players on the season opener for Iowa State, Tommy Hammond and Caleb Bacon, were on the screen, like on the TV screen. And somebody took a picture of it and they sent it to, they tagged Iowa Pork and said, hey, Iowa Pork, this looks like a great marketing opportunity. And so our staff ran with it and they looked at the roster and found two more players, Miles Purchase and Tyler Moore, and putting Purchase, Moore, Ham, and Bacon together has led to just this such a fun marketing and promotion campaign for pork. And I will tell you, they looked at the roster, and I think there's a few more football players. There might be a 2.0 version of this, so we can add a couple more names. So stay tuned.
2: Excellent. That's very exciting. Very exciting. Um, And it, it does come at a time, maybe it's a Seasonally, here we're we're looking at the the pork market, and uh, there's definitely some economic struggles for for pig farmers and pork producers. Can you talk to me about some of those struggles?
6: Yes, we have experienced um, some pretty good losses this year. Not, I shouldn't put the word "good" with loss, but they the average loss in 2023 for a pork producers about thirty dollars a head for a farrow to finish farmer, and those losses actually started even in, in 2022. While the price seemed to be a good price to receive, our input costs were very high. So we were not able to achieve a positive margin on what we were raising. So it's been really, really challenging. Um, we are into some new crops now. And as a pig farmer who buys inputs of corn and soybean meal, the prices are more friendly than they had been. We're hoping to To get some profit in our industry in 2024, we're heading into the, we are in the fourth quarter, and that's traditionally um, the time for pig farmers that is the most tough economically because the price that we get for our products is not as strong this time of year.
2: What are some of the longer-term seasonal trends pointing to here? I remember, um, oh, maybe eight, ten years ago, there was an awful lot of talk, not even that long ago, about expansion within the pork industry and we were going to see, you know, farrowing houses going up all over the place. What what came of that? Did that did that occur and now we're sort of on the other side of that expansion? Uh, help me out.
6: Yeah, I think um right now we're seeing a lot of sows going to market. So that's mm. telling us that these sows are no like a more than average, more than a normal amount. So that telling us is telling us in the industry that somewhere along the line people are liquidating their sows. So that kind of has a longer tail clearly because that sow probably had a litter, that pig will grow, go to market. And we're not really gonna see the effects of that for another six months. Um, The last hog and pig report did have a higher inventory than what people were estimating. So we think that in about maybe six month timeframe, we'll see those numbers lower, which if you know regular economics, if we've got lower quantities, our price should be better um so that's kind of what we're looking at our industry right now but definitely the sow slaughter has been high
2: Mm -hmm. um i don't know how deep you want to get into this there's some freaky legislation out there um prop 12 is is there anything new on that is there any updates you can offer us that where should our heads be on prop 12
6: you know, we don't have any, I don't have any new information on prop 12 as okay. a pork producer who visited Washington DC in September with pork producers from across the nation. We did talk with our elected officials about the challenges that prop 12 creates, you know, reminding them that it's not science-based. It's discriminatory about people who are lower income. Um, it's putting rules on folks outside of the state of California. So there. You know Ashley Hinson, who is my House member in Iowa's congressional district two, um, helped with the legislation on the House side about the Eats Act. And whether people agree with every detail of the Eats Act, the idea is great, and I 100% support it. And that it is stopping the one state from making a rule of how things are done in another state. Um, Senator Marshall from Kansas, Doc Marshall on the Senate side, as well as Grassley and Ernst from Iowa are also supportive on the Senate side. They're getting beat up pretty hard about this. People are, are not understanding what actually is gonna happen in this industry. And I think the prices are gonna speak for themselves. In California, those prices, are already much higher than they were pre-Prop 12, and it's only going to go higher because they've been able to use what was in the pipeline up until January 1st. And after that, they're going to have to adhere to um, the Prop 12 rules.
2: Oof. And my, my concern is that those residents, uh, you know, forget all the other, you know, the implications for producers in other states, those consumers are going to pass on pork, aren't they? I mean, it's they just going to price itself right out of the meat case.
6: It, it's going to be really unbelievable to see what those prices are going to be and yeah. it's it's really scary because you know we're working every hard to take great care of our animals to provide a safe product
2: absolutely
6: that is nutritious and delicious and mm-hmm. these rules that are just so not based upon science are just they're just they're crazy to me i'm just gonna say it. to me yeah. i just don't understand
2: yep yep um trish Madam President, we've uh, we've had a great conversation, but we're going to run out of time quick here. So tell me how people get more info on Iowa Pork Producers Association.
6: Yeah, we've got a great website, iowapork.org. And there's all kinds of information there recipes, Porktober. We just, in Iowa, we have a Tenderloin contest every year. We just announced the winner of that. Um, so get out and eat a delicious Tenderloin.
2: Indeed, get out and eat a delicious tenderloin. Trish Cook, President, Iowa Pork Producers Association. A lovely conversation. Thank you for spending some time with us.
6: Thanks so much, Davis.
2: You bet. You bet. Uh, when we come back, we're heading out to Kansas State University with Professor Joe Parcell. But first, we're going to check with Brian Grady, editor of Pro Farmer, on where the markets are at right now and why. Right here on Agritalk. Stick Brian, I'm going to be honest, I don't know where to start here. Some mild strength in corn, we've had a reversal in soybeans. We're lower on the day there, and the wheat is kind of doing all sorts of stuff. Help me out.
7: Well, I'm going to start with uh, soy meal, Davis, uh, big explosive gains uh, here recently and trading solidly to the upside. Um, so at the moment, that isn't helping soybeans any uh, other than limiting selling pressure. Uh, but much of the pressure on soybeans is coming uh, on spillover from soy oil, which is moderately to sharply lower here at mid morning. So. Quite a bit of uh, movement going on within the soy products, uh, meal to the upside, soy oil to the downside, and and soybeans are are favoring the downside here at mid-morning. In the corn and SRW wheat markets, uh, we're seeing a little bit of corrective trade. Uh, to the upside, and, and so a little bit of corrected buying there, but uh, n- nothing too extreme by any means, uh, just, just really moderate at the, uh, at the moment. Uh, I will say that weekly export sales numbers, uh, while they fell within expectations, the range of expectations, uh, they were pretty solid for corn, soybeans, and wheat, And so we've seen uh, the export demand pick up here recently. Uh,
2: are we taking any comfort from the fact that soybean oil was following WTI to the downside this morning?
7: Oh, I you know it. It's kind of been back and forth, and and uh, crude is about uh, unchanged at the moment. So it's it's come off its lows, and uh, but soy oil is definitely trading to the downside here.
2: Uh, lower across the cattle complex, higher in the deferred hog contracts.
7: Yeah, still waiting in the uh, the cattle market, uh, waiting on active cash cattle trade, waiting on tomorrow afternoon's uh, cattle on feed report. And so just a bunch of waiting around and, and uh, light and choppy trade. We've seen that throughout the week. Hog futures are trying to work to the upside on some corrective buying.
2: That's Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. The- Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We don't make the news. We render it. Agritalk. And welcome back to Agritalk, everyone. Uh, Great conversation with Trish Cook, the president of the Iowa Pork Producers Association. I did forget to ask her what's her favorite way to eat pork. Favorite cuts and all that. Uh, Opportunity lost. Let's turn our attention to Kansas State University professor Joe Parcell joins us. Good morning, professor. How's everything at Kansas State this morning?
1: Good morning, Davis. Uh, it couldn't be better. Every, every day is a great day at Kansas State. So we're happy to have the College Road Show. I think it's getting shot outside right now. Tyne's got a couple of my colleagues out there, and um, I get to spend some time with you.
2: That checks out. That checks out. Outstanding. Um, talk to me about uh farming what what sorts of farming's going on out there where are they at harvest this or that harvest report
1: yes yeah. yeah David. so uh you know harvest is getting along you know we had kind of a, a little bit of a rough start to the year in the wheat side of things luckily that gave some farmers a chance to maybe uh transition that wheat crop into some sorghum corn uh got hit by a little bit of late season uh heat and stuff so we're we're, we're plugging away yet though
2: you know i I think about Kansas and I and I think wheat, but uh, it's it's not just a, a monolithic wheat state, is it, Professor?
1: Yeah, n- not at all. Not at all. As, as a matter of fact, you look, you know, you'll get cattle. You look over time, the role of corn's played. Of course, we've got to feed, feed those animals uh, in there. And, of course, then you look at the eastern part of the state. We've got that soybean crop, and then we've got hogs scattered. And then, we, of course, we've got the dairies that are moving in and continue to move in.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> marketing is more important now than ever before. Storage decisions, uh, different pricing, delivery contracts, and all that sort of stuff. That's that's in your scope, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Davis. And I think this is a good opportunity for me to kind of share a little bit with with, with you and the listeners there about, you know, we got a pretty unique center here at Kansas State University, the Center for Risk Management, which I have the fortune of directing. And what makes it unique, it's really the only one in the country, if not the world, where we really go across boundaries. So we don't talk to, you know, we let Brian do his thing with with crop uh, and price risk there in the commodities. But we talk about price risk. We talk about financial risk, cyber risk, legal risk, uh, policy and regulatory risk, on down the line, people risk. And we bring it all together and look at those things as an integrated, as part of the business or farm business. And what's unique is we we learn from others in other industries um, about what they're doing in risk, what's going on, what's the evolutions, and how we're going to manage risk in the future. And we have a lot of fun.
2: Is there somewhere where because this all sounds like extremely useful, well thought out information? Is there somewhere where farmers can go and get this information, or do I need to sign up for your class in order to uh, to track some of this down?
1: You know, uh, Davis, um, uh, unfortunately not. You know, that that's part of our challenge here is because, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, it, it comes from so many different angles. So I, I would say maybe the best thing is to hire our students that are coming out of the, 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 the center, our center for Risk Management fellows, um, mm-hmm. because they're, you know, they're cross learning. We've got ag economists and animal scientists and uh, engineers and computer engineers and finance and accounting all sitting in the same room. Learning from each other and learning from others in the industry about what risk means, how they manage risk, how you monitor risk, um, and, and the innovations that are going to occur in risk. And I think I, I think that's really the opportunity for ag in the near future mm-hmm. is where the innovations are going to occur in risk management.
2: Well, and s- sometimes the uh, farming community adoption rates of new technology can be a little bit like turning a battleship. It takes a minute. Um, let's, let's talk about some of that, um, how machines and AI may be able to help on the farm, on the, uh, on the marketing side. I think you were talking about there just then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, great point. And there's, you know, there's good reason why sometimes I wouldn't say we're so much slower. It's that it's kind of a trickle down effect. And I think, you know, a good example to give is, you know, you look at the, the CME and I think on any given day, you know, in the, and in the interest rate. Uh, products they'll have four to six trillion dollars trading. You know, on the ag products, it's it's you know thirty to forty billion trading in any one day. Um, you know, on the flip side, if you look out there, if you look at you know what folks are saying that farmers use for futures, they say about you know roughly ten percent of farmers um, use futures and options for price risk management. You look at you know those of us that have maybe a nest egg for retirement, you know. Uh, 35% of us use um, you know, financial advisors. Of course, we're talking 50 million people in the workforce using that versus a few hundred thousand farmers. So it really gets down to scope and scale. Um, and agriculture is unique because of our biology that's involved in our processes. We're not the same as, uh, as interest rates and foreign exchange. And I think what's going to happen here with AI, I know what's going to happen with AI is it's going to bring our ability The platform of AI is going to bring our ability to bring that lower cost and innovate in agriculture around risk and risk management so much quicker, so much quicker Um, and lower cost. It's going to it's going to blow our mind in agriculture, the ability we'll have to manage risks. Um, And let's just we'll start off here with price risk. Um, You know, and we can talk about crop insurance there as part Mm -hmm. of this. The ability Mm -hmm. to pull together everything um, again in a platform, pull together everything, adjust for who's risky to what um, and make decisions throughout, you know, basically every minute of the day that we can feed our information in, get responses Mm -hmm. back of what's best, uh, given the market conditions, given what the weather's like in our area. So this is customizable, um, you know, market reports, just like we get a customizable um, investment portfolio.
2: Mhm-hmm. Well, and it, in our conversation ahead of the show, the, the term digital twin for the business yeah. came up. Um, to me, I read that like the potential for taking your operation and using AI to construct a computer model to what make marketing decisions, crop insurance decisions, uh, really anything on the farm marketing decisions. The computer modeling really does seem like a like a maybe a great way to to get a foot in the door for farmers. Yeah,
1: Davis. You know, and, and digital twin again. None of this is new. It's just now we're going to have the platform. You know, digital twins been around for quite a while. It's in the manufacturing industry, where in real time you're feeding in all the data you're collecting in a manufacturing industry, uh, maybe making parts or so. And then what you do is in real time over in the, in the simulate, you get a simulate and scenario plan. So you don't have to do anything within your operation. And you look and see how that's gonna affect, maybe it's your pricing, maybe it's your productivity, maybe it's your bottom line financing. Um, and financing. And then you transition that back into the manufacturing plant. Well, as we know, production agri- agriculture is pretty much manufacturing. It's just that we've never had that conduit to be able to digital twin what we do. And you know, with AI and machine learning, I think it's gonna be here before we know it. Those that wanna do this can build their farm operation on the side and run those scenarios of what ifs and simulations.
2: Well, here's the thing, professor. Um, I grew up driving a Farmall M around. We had an old Massey Ferguson, we bailed the hay. We did all the stuff. We didn't even have computers. Uh, <laughs> what, what do I need them for? <laughs> yeah, Uh Let's go there. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I drew, drove an M two and a boy, a, a thirty twenty John Deere. We get all the we get all the different colors and brands building. You bet. This. So um, no, you're absolutely right. And I think you know that's really going to boil down to a personal choice. I think though, you see the adoption of computer computer use on the farm, and and Davis, it doesn't have to be necessarily the farmer doing this. It's going to be, you know, we're this isn't going to cut out jobs. This is going to, to me, it's going to elevate opportunities for more jobs. Um, so you're still going to maybe use the consultants, but the responses they're going to be able to give you um, are, are going to be, you know, again, real time, faster, um, better, with better results on them.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what impact, ooh, this is a tricky one, what impact is broadband? have on this and internet connectivity i'm talking way out in the back 40 where some farmers are still frustrated by the internet because all they can get is dial-up
1: yeah you know that's that's going to continue to be a challenge um at least in the immediate future you know i'm probably maybe an eternal optimist that um with all the technology innovations and you know we, we hear about um some of the innovations with satellite and what's going on over there and, you know, the Ukraine area with, you know, using satellites to upload and um, provide broadband to to the population over there. I've got to think that something like, again, like a Starlink is is right around the corner for a lot more of the, of the world that's going to open up a lot of these doors. But the the timing on that's great, you know, it's a great question um, in those remote areas. And plus, you know, we continue the government puts in a lot of money to fiber. You know, I think everybody prefer fiber over something that's maybe satellite based for right now. But, you know, in those rural areas, that may be the best choice.
2: Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you kind of a question out of left field just a little bit. Would you rather there were people still in the in the grain pits at the CME?
1: (laughs) Um, So, so, uh, you know, I'm going to answer that because in a little bit different way. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna answer it from a, a cybersecurity expert that, that we Beautiful. had come in and talk to our students recently. And we, we asked them what the only foolproof way of assuring full cybersecurity is. And they said, we'll go back to in person and writing down uh trades on an uh, you know um yeah. Yeah, on a piece of paper. Um so I per- personally I never like to get behind technology. Um I think it's here. It's here to stay. But uh, I don't think we'll move back to people in the pits in great numbers. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. Professor Joe Parcell from Kansas State University, we're talking about AI on the farm. Um, We've sort of discussed what you can do with it uh, to a degree. We've talked about computer modeling and how that can benefit the farm. And we've even talked about having real live human beings in the pits as opposed to AI having its hand in that Uh, Professor Parsell has had some great words for us. I have uh, some more questions as we move move forward here. We're going to talk a little bit about labor, monetizing some of that farm business data, and we'll see if Joe's got any brags on K-State University on Agritalk.
3: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
2: The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on Agritalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. And welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Great conversation with Professor Joe Parcel underway from Kansas State University. Before we get back to it, let's take a minute for this Yields in the Fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by MicroEssentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution and season-long sulfur availability. Supercharge your yields with the mighty micro from Mosaic. We've been talking Kansas, but let's head to the other end of the Corn Belt, Putnam County, Ohio, the northwest portion of the state there where a grower says, quote, apparently, all we had to do to get rain was start harvest. I'm not sure what's more variable, yields or the moisture. We're drying some corn and sending some straight to the ethanol plant. Yields in the fields for today. Let me bring in Professor, uh, Parcel from Kansas State University again. Uh, Joe, apparently all they had to do to, uh, to get rain was start harvest. Uh, <laughs> Little dryness out there in Kansas. What's your soil moisture situation looking like heading into winter?
1: Yeah, we're still a little on the dry side, uh, yeah. Davis, and you know w- w- we keep hoping. Every time there's a little bit of rain in the forecast, we hope it goes on for for a little bit longer than it does. But uh, you know, we, we, again, I think most of most across Kansas, especially as you get in Central Kansas and then all the way to Southwest Kansas, we, we, we can always use a little bit more.
2: You bet. You bet. Well, let's get back to our AI on the farm conversation. Um, I have here in your notes, one of the ideas is monetizing farm business data, aggregating data across business with anonymity, finding a solution and distributed revenues back to the data providers. I know what most of those words mean, but when organized in that fashion, I'm a little bit confused, Professor. Help me out.
1: Yeah, Davis, and I think that the concept, I think, you know, for a long time, we've always wondered with all this data being collected, you know, where's the value? Who's going to extract the value from it? How are we going to use it to make decisions? And what I see, and I know it's happening, and again, this is from other industries. So, and I think there's going to be a trickle down here because of what AI is going to allow us to do to, to provide these tools faster in agriculture is you know we might have let's say we want to benchmark our farm out there um in terms of what we're doing in, in the fields against you know maybe 50 other farms in the area um you know the ai with the right well, they're called plugins here we use apps on our phone they're called plugins in this ai world with the right plug i could see a t- time where you know a third party is going to provide us the ability to all upload our data benchmark uh, maybe we pay a little bit for that data to use it for a while to benchmark against um, our neighbors or those others in our region. Uh, we don't know who it is. Um, and then we again, what we pay for, the third party takes a little bit, but part, some of that money goes back to the farmers that provided the data uh, in there for that benchmarking. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. There are also implications for managing some skilled labor, um, especially when there's a language barrier involved. I imagine this is yet forthcoming, but a very interesting idea.
1: Yeah, and this one really goes even beyond ag, Um, but it's, uh, it's evolving pretty quickly out there with the AI. And really, we talk about labor risk on the farm, it's really turnover risk. And part of that turnover risk gets to be a language barrier, but it may not always be on the farm language barrier. Um, Sometimes we find out is that language barrier for those for those families uh, exists when they go to get health care, children in school. Um, maybe go to get a bank doing some kind of continuing training and most importantly probably when it comes to the farm, the farm safety part of learning all the you know the safety measures. And with some of these technologies coming down, um, you know the ability to speak into a you know, like we do now on our cell phones, a Bluetooth mic with an earpiece, someone else has an earpiece and it real time translates. Um, th- that's a game changer because when you can give your employees some upward mobility, to gain um you know you get a happier working environment you get more productivity and, and you're going to retain those employees longer and reduce that turnover mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: when we you know and i'm going back to that digital twin for the business i mean and i'm thinking of um uh, legal and accounting functions that that might be able to do optimizing um uh, the operation toward uh, toward tax codes and updates and things like that. There, there's really a lot yet to explore in AI, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there, there there is, Davis. And you know, on that legal accounting side, you know, I've I've had the good fortune of maybe dabbling a little bit of farming over time, and you know, it does take time. Every time we go to negotiate a, maybe a land contract or um, marketing our cattle or hogs, whatever that might be, um, and, and then on the you know on on, on the accounting side of things. And you know our ability to to take those things and maybe reduce down our search costs. You know, trying to find information. You know, what should we be either getting from from the renter side or receiving? Uh, excuse me. What should we be giving from the renter side or receiving from the landowner side? Being able to reduce down some of that costs and understand what the outcomes might be of different types of contracts. I think there's a real opportunity there. Um, And I think that, you know, that'll benefit everybody. I think everybody wants what's fair out there. And, you know, right now we've got pretty high costs to trying to find all that information and bring it together.
2: Um, Okay, let's let's put a bow on this conversation by maybe speculating a little bit. Do you foresee a, a farm of the future that is run almost entirely on AI? And how far out is that?
1: Yeah, you know, Davis, I do. Um, you know, how far that's out, I think that's gonna depend on who wants to be the first to push that envelope. Um, I, I think it'll be a few years yet, but I tell you what, the speed of innovation right now has been that's like unlike anything we've seen in, in our in, at least in my lifetime. You know, I've been through computers, cell phones. Um, but the speed of this innovation, it could be here before but before I even know it. I, I will say I'll kind of maybe put a bow on this. Maybe we'll talk just we'll wrap it up here with black swans and gray rhinos. Um, and then we we'll talk about black swans.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, go ahead. Well, uh, we, we're going to have to cut it there um, okay. and watch for those black swans and gray rhinos, of course. Uh, Joe Parcell from Kansas State University, I want to give you a chance. Where can we get more on Kansas State University?
1: Yeah, you can go to kstate.edu, or if you want to explore the Center for Risk Management, you can go to uh, C-R-E-M-E-R, summer uh, K-State.
2: Outstanding. Professor Parcel, thank you for it. Uh, we didn't have nearly enough time to get to everything that we could have talked about. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. Have a great day.
4: Thank you, Davis.
2: That was Professor Joe Parcell from Kansas State University. Uh, Also, thanks to my guest, Trish Cook, president of the Iowa Pork Producers Association, and, of course, Greg Henderson from Drovers this afternoon. It's me, your pal, Davis Michelson, with John Payne.